has been making me crazy all day. So the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr., mm-hmm. hit his first career grand slam last night. Awesome! Awesome! Congratulations, Fernando. Everyone's mad about it. What? He swung at a 3-0 pitch while his team had a seven-run lead over the Rangers in the eighth inning. After the game, the Rangers manager, Chris Woodward, said he did not like it. He said baseball norms are being challenged on a daily basis. Norms. Oh, my God. Norms. That's progressive. San Diego's manager, Jay Singler, wasn't thrilled with the move either, saying Tatis missed a sign to take the pitch, and he will use this as a learning experience. Yeah, no more grand slams. So he violated an unwritten rule. He's a young player. So I don't know if I want to kill him for it, but that's that's not the right thing to do. I mean, it was the base was loaded with one out, 10-3. Padres, you know, well on their way, and Tatis had already hit a home run. And Tatis should know better. His father played and everything else. But he was 21. You want to give him a pass? I have no problem with Texas being annoyed. You know, Padres are going to score more runs in the inning. They've already got a, a seven-run lead. It's the top of the eighth, not the top of the fifth. I mean, you know, that scenario, you know what? Take it easy. I mean, a grand slam there, it's a meaningless grand slam. It means nothing. You know, I'm old enough that uh, I grew up in a game where you had a lot of older guys that had all the power, mm-hmm. and they would tell you how to act, how to do, what to do. And you acquiesced, and you did what they told them to do because that's how it was. Nothing upsets me more than dumbass crap. And who leads the, the, the sports world in dumbass crap than unwritten Major League Baseball rules? Profe, I have the book of unwritten rules here. Nice. It's, it was published by Baseball Digest in 1986. I got it off of uh, Baseball Almanac, which is kind of one of the main sources of baseball statistics and rules and history. So um, I don't know if it's the source, but it's a pretty would you say an important source yeah yeah that baseball would be, almanac and and sorry did you say the book of rules or unwritten rules i'm sorry the book of unwritten baseball unwritten rules. okay um it's basically a list that i'm going to read to you nice how many published... how many are there uh looks like 30 here oh okay let me read them to you. All right. Okay. Number one, never put the tying or go-ahead run on base. Mm-hmm. Number two, play for the tie at home, go for the victory on the road. Number three, don't hit and run on a 0-2 count. Number four, don't play the infield in early in the game. Number five, Never make the first or third out at third. Number six, never steal when you're up. Uh, excuse me, never steal when you're two or more runs down. Don't steal when you're well ahead. Number eight, don't steal third with two outs. Number nine, 
don't bunt for a hit when you need a sacrifice. Number 10, never throw behind the runner. Number 11, left and right field uh, left and right fielders concede everything to center fielder. I love that one. <laughs> um, that's such an antiquated one, but I think it still holds true when you teach kids. Number 12, never give up a home run on an 0-2 count. Never let the score inf- influence the way you manage. Don't go against the percentages. Take a strike when your club is behind in a ball game. Leadoff hitter must be a base dealer. Designated hitter must be a power hitter. Number 17, never give an intentional walk if first base is occupied. With runners in scoring position and first base open, walk the number eight hitter to get to the pitcher. In rundown situations, always run the runner back toward the base from which he came. Number 20, if you play for one run, that's all, that's all you'll get. Don't bunt with a power hitter up. Don't take the bat out of your best hitter's hands by sacrificing in front of him. Number 23, only use your bullpen stopper or closer. This was written in 86 in late inning situations. Number 24, don't use your stopper in a tie game, only when you're ahead. Number 25, hit behind uh, the runner at first. Number 26, if one of your players gets knocked down by a pitch, retaliate. Number 27, hit the ball where it's pitched. Some of these are so obvious and beautiful. Number 28, a manager should remain detached from his players. That's a really great one. Number 29, never mention a no-hitter while it's in progress. Number 30, with a right-hander on the mound, don't walk a right-handed pitcher. Excuse me. With a right-hander on the mound, don't walk a right-handed hitter to pitch to the left-handed hitter. Those are the 30 uh, rules called the Book of Unwritten Rules by Baseball Digest, published in 1986. Hmm. What do you think of those? Well, um, I think some of them are outdated for baseball nowadays, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I read something in the USA Today, uh, some piece that was written a while back, but it, it talks about like uh, these are uh, the unwritten rules of baseballs can be divided into the superstitious, the strategic, and the disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, a lot of those are, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are strategic, right? Yeah, most of those sounded like strategic. I only I only caught one there, which was... Don't talk about the no a no hitter while it's in progress. That's. Do you think that's the? Do you think that's the one almost every baseball fan knows, is like one that everyone understands. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty popular one. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the, but the, and that's but that because that goes into the like it's the the superstitious ones. And mm-hmm. the the ones about respect, mm-hmm. like yeah, those are the ones that get interesting because the strategic ones are like, okay, like there's reason, like this, right? There, there's you can kind of see the reasoning behind them, even if some of them mm-hmm. are outdated because of just how the game has changed and players mm-hmm. have advanced and all that. But mm-hmm. 
but the the ones that are just funny, dude, are are the superstitious ones, and yeah, uh-huh. and the and the respect ones. Mm-hmm. Are you a big? Are you? I mean, I guess what, what was your experience? Like, what are the ones that really, as you were growing up playing, like which ones really stuck to you? Like, as far as like you really bought bought into them, and which ones did you? Um, were you like, uh, that's stupid? Um. Hmm. I let me think. Let me think about that. Definitely the you know the the home run thing was was it was it was disrespectful to look at your home run, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't hit that many home runs when we were kids, so I think most of us just in. I mean, I think it's an inevitable part of being young, especially. If, I didn't hit that many home runs, but when I did, I, I maybe possibly might have stared for a little bit. But um, it was dis- definitely disrespectful, you know, to to flip your bat or to stare at your home run as it's leaving the field. And you're um, saying like you didn't question that, like you, that was one. That no, I just... didn't. It was like, oh, this is this. Is, yeah, that would be disrespectful to do that. Yeah. Um, there was one that I always hated. That it, this was not an unwritten rule, but I hated this on the team I played where um, a manager – so like if – so as far as playing third base and a ball came to me, a ground ball was hit to me, we were supposed to get the, the lead runner for the last out of the inning. Do you know what I'm saying? So like don't throw to first base. You're okay. Supposed, you know, throw to the closest base. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just could never – I I always would throw to first. That that throw just seems easier to me. It's one that I make more often. You understand what I'm saying? With more consistency. So I always thought I would always take my chances with throwing to first because to me that was I had I had much more like practice and repetition with throwing to first than throwing to second. And I don't even know if that's true. That's just how I rationalized it. But I would get a lot of shit from my second baseman and from my manager because it just it didn't look professional, he said. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a weird one, right? But I think looking back, it makes sense. It but makes sense, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, but um, <laughs> no, but, but you just like going, throwing the first, man. <laughs> yeah. And I think I was just afraid of, of – I always thought – I mean, it doesn't – it all makes sense now, but it, I had really stupid reasons for rationalizing it, like – I don't know why I thought throwing a second just always seemed more, like more dangerous to me. I don't know why I thought that because if if the if I overthrow the second baseman, I'm gonna have the same predicament that as if I throw the first baseman. You know, overthrow the first baseman. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The runner's gonna move, and we're gonna be in deep shit now because of my error. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess that's like the, that's I, that's what makes these funny is the. Um, like the sacredness of them because the reality is i th- say with that one you right. should and i'm sure i would think like on most teams today or i guess it depends at the level but like the infielders are being taught to know who's on first basically like if it's right. you know if it's that lead off hitter who's super fast right um you know then then throwing a first is probably the the safe bet but if it's you know if it's manny machado um 
you should definitely go to second. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like so. What's funny about these is that they're they're so. It's like such a set in stone thing, rather than the, rather than just the reality with with most things is that you know it depends. Like circumstances matter. Of course. And so, that's, like that's a. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, in the case of say with the no no, like, are there some circumstances where um, you should maybe say something? <laughs> uh, maybe. Possibly. Have you ever have you ever mentioned it? Nah, not not that I anything? not that I know of, but but um some of those nights at Peco Park have been really hazy. Um and so I would you know, I, I hope I didn't slip, but but like you said, like that's one that I think everybody you know has learned from a from a young age. I know I've I know I've witnessed it done. Mm-hmm. That's a really fun one though. It's super fun. That's probably one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite baseball things, period. Mm-hmm. Because you're because you because you obviously talk about it, you know. Um, and then you just start staring at each other, and you're trying so subtly to say, "Hey, do you see what's happening?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what's happening, but why is there still a need to say something? I find that really fascinating. Yeah. Something yeah. about acknowledging it, huh? Yeah, it's kind of it's like um, just earlier you were just saying um, where you were talking about um, like coffee shops or places that try to like create this mm-hmm. forcefully create this um, like this special community uh, right. environment, but it mm-hmm. just feels forced. It's like not organic, and uh, I think that's like as silly as superstitions are um what i think makes it cool like what makes baseball like a cool thing and and like a lot of other things is that these are like organic things that developed and then or if 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 they didn't develop organically at the very least by the time it's gotten to us at this point after so many generations Mm -hmm. it feels if it feels organic because it's this thing that's like it's almost like this esoteric these esoteric things that are being passed on. It's like exclusive to our community. Because if you explain these things to an outsider, mm-hmm. they, we sound like, it sounds stupid. Like it's right. Um, and that's what makes it cool. Like, so it's like, Oh, we're part of this like secret club. And it's like, uh, gives opportunity like for bonding where one person passes on the CU, pass it on to, to Frida, you know, mm-hmm. and now Frida knows and she's going to pass it on, you know, mm-hmm. and it's part of this little like that's a community. That's a real community. Um, mm-hmm. so, so I think that's what's, what's cool about it. As ridiculous as I've actually I do a lesson in one of my classes where I um, where we talk about some of this stuff, um, um, not staring at your not admiring your home run. And then what happens afterward, the retaliation and because in my classes, like ninety nine percent of the students don't care for baseball, and they don't catch it, right? They don't catch it, but not only do they not catch it, but then when it's explained, 
why right. like why the, the so yeah i have to I explained it like do you see how the as he's running around the bases the third baseman's yelling at him and then when he gets to home plate the catcher's yelling at him and the pitcher's yelling at him do you want to know what he did and they're like what then we replay it they watch it and they're like what'd he do it's like well he's like admiring that he hit a home run and of course their reaction is why is that bad like he did something good it's like, well, and that's where you go into, in that context of a classroom, they just, they just laugh. And it's like, that's dumb. Like, what the hell? Like, that's, I don't get it. It makes no sense. Like, and their faces are, and that's part of the fun of the lesson. But like, when you pass on something like that, yeah, say like from a parent to a child or from a, you know, from a coach to a player, like those little, then it's like, there's something like, it's, it's our little special thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think so. It does have a place. These unwritten rules. Would you say? I think so. I I like them. I, I I think it gives a lot of character to the game, a lot of charm to the game. I like them too, but and but I think it's also good to every once in a while re reassess and reevaluate and recontextualize, right? And and maybe say, ah, we don't need these. We'll keep these. And then, because getting rid of some allows for new ones to be created, right? Give space for new stuff, for new traditions and new uns- new unwritten rules to get uh, written. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, to get uh, created. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I had two more that I just thought of as you're talking. Uh, the 3-0 and count, I always took a pitch. I don't think in the entire, maybe once or twice in my entire career playing ball that I ever swing at a, unless my manager told me to, you know, but my, yeah, I grew up like if you have a three and O count, you have to take a pitch. Mm-hmm. And then one that I don't know if it's an unwritten rule, but it's connected. Uh, you know, you always have to hustle. You don't walk on a baseball field, especially as a young ball player, mm-hmm. you know, and that stayed with that one is something that I still I would never walking on a ball field. The only time I'd ever walk on a ball field, even now as an adult, is if I'm playing toss with someone or if I am injured. But the rest of the time, I'm running. That's a big, huge, embedded part of probably not just baseball, but sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, life. Mm-hmm. In many ways, like that one, you can see the clear. Mm-hmm. The clear like lesson, the the lesson of virtue that's being, you know, that, that's that's really being communicated. Um, and and I guess with the other ones too, but the other ones are a little more like say say for example, um, um, walking over the the pitcher's mound. Mm-hmm. What are your? How do you feel about that one? I <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. But if the pitcher has a problem with it and it's clear because I know the pitcher, I wouldn't do it just because it's it's disrespectful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Rodriguez claims that he didn't know. It's possible. No, you know we all we <laughs> <laughs> now with him. We all have gaps. <laughs> yeah. We all have gaps. Yeah, I said it's possible, but I just think like, come on, man. Everyone does. Everyone knows that. You know, it's not. Like no one, no one walks. No one does that. Right. I never saw anyone do it. 
you know, until I saw A-Rod do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. But then, <laughs> but at the time, I didn't really think anything of it. And then maybe yeah. he's just, you know, maybe he's just like, fuck it, why can't I? You know what I'm saying? But see, but that, that's a great, see, like, explaining that one to somebody, you know? Imagine, mm-hmm. um, you know, imagine taking a girl out on a date and you're trying to show her how how great this thing is that you love, this game. One that she's <laughs> it's already boring. Like, she's already sitting there like, dude, like, this is going on for how much, many more? Nine mm-hmm. more of these? Mm-hmm. And then, and you're trying to, like, make the pitch to her, like, no, like, this is cool. Like, this is a really beautiful thing. Like, if you mm-hmm. just, you know. And mm-hmm. then that happens. And mm-hmm. then, like, it, the game gets stopped and all that's happening. And then you have to explain to her, oh, well, no, well, it's because, see, the guy, he walked over the mound, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't Her reaction would probably be, like, this is so ridiculous. Like, what, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. and how do you, like, I mean, I mean it, and at the same time, it's not that ridiculous, right? Because something you mentioned earlier was like, let's, you know, it's make it's fair to respect person. Like, think of it as like personal space that needs to be respected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If a, if a, if a pitcher has a problem with me stepping on his mound, and I know the guy personally, I just wouldn't step. I just doesn't see. I just don't want to touch the mound. I'm superstitious, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's any superstitions attached to it, but I just don't, like, that's not my position. That's not, it's not my space, basically. I'm not the pitcher. That's the pitcher's place. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, that's that's that dude's office. I'm not going to just walk through some guy's office to get somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> it's really not that big a deal. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like I wouldn't, I would I wouldn't lose my shit like that dude did with A Rod, you know. Right. Um, yeah. But I understood why he did. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why the guy lost his shit. Do you think the the strategic has any? And we don't need. I just I was just curious before we move on because we're obviously we're we're obviously gonna talk about the superstitious, but mostly the disrespectful, right? That's that's what yeah. I really want to yeah, talk yeah. about, right? But do you think that the strategic how do how are these three the superstitious strategic and disrespectful how do they how are they intertwined and how do they all relate in the end or are they just three separate things uh, does does the strategic uh, bind the disrespectful with the superstitious um, are some of those strategic ones superstitious and not rooted in any I mean because you could argue with with statistics that some of the strategic ones make sense for the, for whatever the you know, these were written in '86, so within that context, based on how the game was being played, those strategic unwritten rules probably be made more sense than they do now, right? But mm-hmm. are these three separate things? Are they connected? Do they inform each other? Is that a stupid question to even ponder? Well, definitely the the soup. So there's so like the one we were just talking about. I think there is. There is probably there is an element of superstition, um, at least for some pitchers. Probably if their mound gets stepped on, mm-hmm. um, and so I guess the strategic ones are more internal. Mm-hmm. It's like this is what we do um, within our team, and these are you know it's it's these strategies for us to win. 
where mm-hmm. and I guess and, and some of the superstitious as well. Like these are things that we we do to ensure that we win. But then there's there's the ones that yeah, that I agree that are that get more interesting are the ones where it's a matter of like this is what we do out of respect for other people, for people outside of our tribe. Um and and arguably even you could say these are the things that we do you're raised to do them at, not only out of respect for the other tribe but out of respect for for this the game itself this thing that that we all need to pay our respect to that like mm-hmm. you know makes all this possible um mm-hmm. i feel like teasing out between what teasing out between what's what is being taught as a mm-hmm. form of respect for your opponent and as a form of respect for the game um that's an interesting one to try to tease out. How do these, um, how do you see the superstitious, the strategic and the disrespectful manifest in, in our society, in our culture? Can you think of examples for the three? Um, well, right, you, literally right, right now, right now that we are just talking about the, the mound, walking uh-huh. walking over the mound uh um it reminded me of my city second talk so my friends who are buddhists mm-hmm. and they would uh they would get pissed one of them would like in everything with all this right there's always like mm-hmm. members of a group of a culture who like mm-hmm. don't take these type of don't take the unwritten rules serious mm-hmm. and the ones who do um and just like in baseball there's some players who like don't care for them as much as others mm-hmm. um one of the brothers would get pissed if you faced your feet toward the buddhist shrine <laughs> and, of course. And, and so i remember like that used to it like it, it would blow my mind but i got it at the same time like i understood it but even as like a young even like as an elementary school aged kid there was this i mean you said it right it was like i guess i'm gonna try not to do it because because it means something to him mm-hmm. but this so but that's so silly mm-hmm. like, i don't get i don't really get it um <laughs> you know because i'm an outsider <laughs> i'm an outsider and the buddha's not really there you could argue it's, it's just a statue right <laughs> yeah, although you could argue that the buddha is there as well right but yeah yeah it's this you know <laughs> statue and some some oranges and some dollar bills <laughs> um yeah so so there's that right and like and we I th- we engage in these type of things all the time with each other don't and especially in a in a multicultural mm-hmm. society where mm-hmm. it's like oh, okay um i'll respect your um or like another one was like taking off your shoes right it's always feet, man. There's something with feet going on there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you see that that overlap, and or you see those those are two examples that come to my mind. And in the end, it really is, it's just like if you're gonna if you're gonna share a space with other people, you can either you can either just like be stubborn and be like, no, this is stupid, and I, or you just go, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess we all do that in our own way, you know. We all have right. those little things in our own way. 
So, right. so you just kind of res- you respect it, even if it doesn't make sense, and you and you stop asking questions. So, what gives when you are a person? Let me see if I can describe this. I think you're probably this way as well. We respect, I respect, uh, I'm not going to speak for you. You can tell me what your thoughts are on this, but I respect people's traditions and, 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 and unwritten rules. Like, like the, like the one you just mentioned, if, if I know that one of them gets offended, I just wouldn't do it, but it's pretty ridiculous. Why can't I, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But when it's all said and done, I just wouldn't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what happens when when you yourself don't take so much offense to to rules that you could potentially be offended by, you know? So I'm thinking back to the pitcher's mound. The pitcher's mound walking over the pitcher's mound uh is kind of akin to walking over someone's lawn to get to take a shortcut, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. But what's a lawn? A lawn is for walking on, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't you argue that? <laughs> I mean yeah. Grass is grass is kind of designed to, to like be able to sustain your stepping on, right? Yeah. But like you wouldn't, you know, it would be considered disrespectful if I cut through someone's yard. Let's just say they don't have a fence, and I cut through their yard to get to get to take a, a shorter route to my destination around a corner, right? Mm-hmm. I just I wouldn't do that, right? But if it was my lawn and someone did that, it would kind of annoy me, but I wouldn't be offended. Yeah, yeah. Be like, ah, oh, well, that makes sense. Walking across, I mean, I would do the same. I wouldn't do that because I don't want to disrespect anyone. But he's not really disrespecting me right now by doing that. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Totally, totally. What what what's going on there? Well, you're 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 part of the next. You're you're gonna raise your kids not to care, and they're mm-hmm. gonna raise their kids not to care, and you're mm-hmm. part of like this growing movement within the culture that over time um, is gonna like either forget that that was a thing, mm-hmm. or it's gonna lead to at some point a a clash of a clash of of old guard and and new guard uh the a clash of the progressive thinkers and the traditional thinkers of like whether we we need to keep holding on to this or not mhm and we see that like we're seeing that here like a lot of players over time it's just like yeah no this one's um like the more which is interesting like you think of it as these unwritten sacred rules but then the more you talk to people within cultures and within say baseball the more you start Mm -hmm. to realize like oh wow a lot of people don't care like what what gives this thing strength is this idea that it's sacred but the more you actually talk to people the more you realize like it might actually be a minority people who actually (laughs) care about this and 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 there's any at all yeah and it usually is some minority, and um, um, you know that that's the other part of this is how much of this is just how much of like the codes that we get taught to follow really stem from just um, it's really all about dominance, and it's and they stem from the people who created them 
within some context um were people just trying to preserve their dominance and so it's like oh you know we can't do that hey uh women you need to make sure to not wear that um that's that's disrespectful um and and so over time you know it just gets fall 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 until people start realizing like hey man like why do we keep letting them why do we keep following these rules that um that really just kind of benefit those like the one group of people within our our group and so like with baseball it seems like so many of these are about the pitcher <laughs> Yeah. Like how much of this really is, is, are these unwritten rules? Think about at least the ones that are about respect. Um, they seem to almost majority all be about respecting the pitcher's ego. Would it be fair to speculate on something? Can I, can I, is it okay? Is it too early in the podcast to, uh, bring in race into the matter? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. Most pitchers are white, right? Mm-hmm. Or were for a long time, mm-hmm. right? Does that mm-hmm. have something to do with it? Because you were saying... It hmm? It, it very well could. Because you were saying... I'm not going to remember what you just said, but I thought you said it very well. Um, you were talking about uh, it's a way, like the decorum is a way to re- maintain the integrity of um, groups or institutions. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's why we have traditions, right? That's because mm-hmm. we like, or not. That's not why, but that's one reason, right? It it helps. Kinda, they, they help yeah. kind of hold group identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So going using that logic, um, <clears throat> would it? Would it be fair to try to speculate on maybe the fact that if these are a lot, a lot of these are rooted in in pitchers, and pitchers have for the majority of the history of baseball been white, uh, could that potentially be a part of baseball's way of um, retaining its uh, not just its Americanness but its American values in the game? Because it is an American invention, it's a way of protecting it against. It's like a knee-jerk reaction or a very subtle way of rejecting the influx of uh, Latinx ball players and Asian players and all the different uh, uh, cultures that have now started to appear in Major League Baseball. Is it? Is it? Is it like just a very subtle, latent thing happening there? Maybe, possibly, race, dude, possibly, um, and it could. So I guess so. There's two two possible things. It could be that, mm-hmm. um, where it's like the where race relations in in the society make their way into into the game. Um, mm-hmm. It possibly could just be. It could just be power dynamics. Like you can mm-hmm. so basically the the pitcher because the pitcher is the one who kind of control controls the game really controls the pace of the game has so much power that position has so much power within the game the pitcher is able to to uh, manipulate the 
you know, the culture of the game and the structure of the game, you know, they have a lot of influence on that. And maybe, they have a lot of influence in the narrative. In yes. the, exactly. Yes. How the game's played and everyone kind of has to give into it. If you want to be part mm-hmm. of the club, you know, you got to, mm-hmm. you, you know, you have to, you have to follow the, the rules of the, of the dominant, the dominant group within, within the club. And, and in baseball, it's the, the pitcher, um, the, and maybe all that, what it, it's just another, it, you can see that reflected in say the way race takes place in a society or, or class takes place where mm-hmm. in that same way, whoever has the most wealth has the most power and gets to and has more influence in dicta- and dictating over the cultural institutions, religion, media, you know, what are these these sacred, you know, silly things that we're, you know, that that we're expected to follow. What are the words that are considered swear words and which are the ones that are okay and not okay? It's like wealthy people have a have more influence um over those things. Um so it could just be you could make the comparison between the way it takes place in baseball, it also takes place in society. Or, yeah, dude, or you might be on to something that, no, like race relations in society absolutely have bled, bled their way into into baseball. And we can still see it to this day. Mm-hmm. Baseball's had a really kind of fucked up history with race it prides itself on having integrated mm-hmm. i don't know if they were the first league to integrate do you know or was it major league baseball the first of the major i'm pretty sure yeah sports leagues okay i want to say oh, oh uh i'm not sure but um but definitely it definitely prides itself on that but it 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 has it, it's had some major issues with, with race you know <laughs> yeah um I'm sure like all the other leagues, but do you think that, uh, do you think that part of why the unwritten rules, uh, remain and maybe some of those more stayed and old ones that maybe we should do away with talking specifically about the, the disrespectful ones and the, maybe the, maybe some of the strategic, but superstitious as well but mainly the disrespectful do you think that those things don't change and stay because of the power dynamics and the whole issue with race um and i'm talking maybe even before the 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 latin player started coming into the league like uh, no questioning of that because of not wanting to upset the status, like mess mm-hmm. with the status quo, you know. Mm-hmm. And if everyone kind of stays in their lane, mm-hmm. this is the rule. Even if I am black, and and I don't know what what of the I'm not talking about rules that apply specifically to to the differences of of white and black black players and how they approach the game. But I'm just saying in general, not questioning those rules kind of allows every everyone kind of stays in their lane and it just kind of keeps the integrity of things even if it's maybe possibly being harmful or not beneficial anymore right yeah no totally it's like um you know so cultures in which there is this in which rule like expectations are set up in a way mm-hmm. to placate to the interest of um whether it be of men 
whether it be of older the uh, like cultures or the elders like this 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 notion of like respecting your elders um there is a there's definitely like a a logic to it mm-hmm. but it's also kind of irrational don't you think like it's like absolutely why like so what if this person's lived longer and has experienced more person's being an asshole um right. you know and and but but exactly like you say I think most people in the end it's like hey but you just don't do that and and if you do and if you keep being vocal about it your your the consequence ultimately ends up being like you don't get to be part of the club mm-hmm. so if you're not you know if if you're going to keep swinging at that 30 uh, at a 30 pitch late in the game with a lead you, you ruin your reputation and you eventually get like blackballed by everyone else as if if they still like if that's still something that that is largely like held on to, um, so so yeah, and I think yeah, no, dude, in, in everything runs more smoothly when everyone stays in their place. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and the inevitable consequence is that's fine, and 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 things will go for so long with everybody knowing their role and and staying within it but eventually if over time when it's when there is something just inherently unequal about it so if in baseball over time like hitters are a big part of the game too and when hitters over time are like uh yeah this is stupid um you know or base runners you know like eventually inequality leads to resistance like that's just a that's what happens and so um over time people are going to start challenging those um start challenging those those norms but you know something interesting about pitchers what's that um do you know anything about uh southern pitchers like pitchers from the south having have you heard that they <laughs> no um, but i can't they, wait to hear this they oh, my God. um they have a higher rate of beaning players um after like uh after some you know uh after they feel slighted are we talking about the american south the american south yeah mm-hmm. they so, have a higher rate of beaning players after they've been slighted yeah like after they've been they feel they've been disrespected. so after an unwritten rule, that makes sense to me um yes. has been broken or mm-hmm. if they've like or even if they've after they've given up um had like a bad inning um you know basically what this doesn't count just hitting players in general because sometimes players get hit on accident um mm-hmm. or they sometimes a pitcher will accidentally hit a player um, when it's an apparent an apparent throwing at a guy it's yeah it's so when, when you're throwing at a guy um it's it's predominantly uh white pitchers from the south um <laughs> And and so, which is funny that someone even like took the time to, to I love this to look this up, uh-huh. and so there's um there's something so there's cultures of honor are uh so for example like gangs are cultures of honor where there's like these co like no snitching is you know this like unbroken you know it's a sacred code within gangs, um which is similar to and if you snitch uh. Uh, you you get st- you get stitch- snitches get stitches um, the same way mm-hmm. that like if you break unwritten rules in baseball you're gonna get plunked 
Um, and so basically it, within cultures of honor, um, men have this, there's this expectation that when they feel that their honor has been disrespected, uh, they feel the, the pressure to have to respond with physically with violence to show like, I'm not a punk and don't, don't disrespect me. Don't like you're Mm -hmm. disrespecting my honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so gangs are one example, um, certain like Middle Eastern cultures have a strong mm-hmm. culture of honor where men do not, t- I mean, honor killings are like the clear example of it where like if a mm-hmm. girl goes off and marries a guy without her father's blessing, the father might like kill him, uh, kill the daughter. Right. And it's like seeing the brother and like the family kind of the culture sees it as like, well, um, she shouldn't have done that. Like she shouldn't have disrespected the honor of the patriarch. Um, the American South is the other place that has a strong culture of honor where, uh, the South is known for being really polite, but they're also known for men. Don't tread on me basically. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so there is, I guess I'm thinking of that now that you're saying, you know, like, so if, how racism can bleed into the game the same way that something like that like bleeds into the game where there is this this culture within the American South of honor where men feel very sensitive about being disrespected and retaliate physically um, it, it, why, why their guns matter um, and then you see it in the game of baseball that uh, that men from the south or pitchers from white pitchers from the south have mm-hmm. a higher rate of plunking players that's amazing <laughs> that's like you said that's amazing that somebody even thought to do this <laughs> right there's so like the honor culture stuff comes from a, a while back there's this um guy was that just sports explaining life right now yeah basically giving a snapshot it's, it's right yeah, there okay. like it's mm-hmm. it's um th- it was funny the way that this guy nisbet developed this idea that no there's a difference between men from the south and men from the north uh Mm. eliminating gangs and Mm -hmm. and he did it with college students where he had them come into a room and they thought they were just coming in to like take a survey Mm -hmm. and what they didn't know was that the real experiment was that a guy was going to bump into them in the middle of the hall and he'd bump into them in the middle of the hall and then after bumping into them he'd say hey watch where you're going asshole um, <laughs> I love it. And then after that, when the guys would go in and take their survey immediately after, and and they, I think maybe they were even hooked up to some stuff to measure their like heart rate. Um, mm-hmm. the they found that like that students who came from the south would get were way more worked up over that little altercation, while guys mm-hmm. who grew up in the north, um weren't really as weren't phased by it um they just thought like that guy was weird like that was weird what just happened um Mm -hmm. and from that that was one of the main they did various experiments to to suggest like no there really is this um there's this culture of honor that runs through through the blood of of men Mm. from the south and americans from the south tend to trace their lineage to herders from uh like celtic herders uh and mm-hmm. herders have a very invested um, – it's very important for them to protect their reputation because 
if they're going around herding their animals and someone steals them and it gets known that you can steal that guy's animals and he won't do anything about it then you become a punk and an easy mark to get stolen from so you have to like be tough and you have to um let let it be known that you can't be disrespected that way and so there's and so they the theory is like that you know genetically and culturally apparently could get passed on to the point that it even makes its way onto a baseball game that's amazing wow yeah madison Bumgarner is from the south oh shit yeah see <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> case in point done yeah. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Bless whoever came up with that. The the, the I mean, who who was it? Who was the the who was the person you mentioned right just now? I don't know who made the baseball connection, but no. Uh, but who was the uh, Nisbet? Would you say R- Richard Nisbet is the? He's mm-hmm. famous. He's a famous social psychologist yeah. for that. I feel like I've heard this before, um, but yeah, I didn't know the name. Uh, that's I love it. Yeah. And then Baumgartner, that is ex- everything, everything, everything is starting to make sense thanks to sports. Mm-hmm. And um, so, do you think, like, what are your thoughts on that idea of policing? Like, so that's the other part is the, like, and we're seeing this change. We're seeing a lot more players and managers who don't believe in retaliation, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to others who still believe. Like, no, it's it's our way of policing. Um, uh, inappropriate behavior disrespectful behavior um yeah where do you stand on on this form of like, retaliation yeah retaliation is a way to like preserve respect that's a great question because in general i think retaliation in in life i think retaliation is is very dangerous and i would say it just think it just makes things worse mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I try to n- not use violence as a way to, but I mean, retaliation can, is, is, is it necessarily violence retaliation? I mean, if you throw a 90 mile an hour. Yeah. Ball I mean, that's someone... violent. I'm just saying retaliation in general. Oh. Is it always necessarily violent? <laughs> it to me it, it to me it seems like it's a it's an act of violence right yeah I and mean, yeah and it also even if it's yeah. subtle or not physically hurting mm-hmm. somebody it can it can it it, it at its core it, it's a violent act right yeah would you, you say can frame it that way yeah yeah so but in baseball i think it's great <laughs> i th- <laughs> yeah i think it's necessary mm-hmm. um i like to see a pitcher back uh, player off the plate. Mm-hmm. I think it's good. I think it's necessary mm-hmm. um, because it it it's it, because I think it gets into kind of the the more mind game aspects of the game. Mm-hmm. That if you all of a sudden get rid of this idea of retaliation, then it I think it changes the way a hitter approaches an at bat. I mean, could we talk about Manny Machado and his reaction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this past just, week. Yeah, what did what can you describe what he did? 
what he what 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 was his reaction when Tatis went yard for that grand slam in the back? What was what was his face? He he looked like it, it kind of looked like an aw shit face, right? Right, and aw shit, possibly like aw shit, this kid hit a home run. He's he's like he's making me look bad. That's what a lot of people said, right? Hmm. Right. That was like the common the comments that I saw in the in the video. Did you? Yeah. I did not read it that way. I didn't That's read not that how way. I read it. That's not how I read it at all. But I could see that too, and it was kind of funny. Um, you, you remember when uh, when Eli Manning made that face after Peyton Manning <laughs> won his second Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. It was it was almost the exact same face? Yeah, same face, yeah. right? Yeah. Except I think this this time it was Machado going. This kid missed a pitch. And they're gonna throw at me, but not only that, it you know, if if we're gonna get yelled at, basically, you know, right? It could potentially make us look like amateurs, mm-hmm. you know. That's the that's the feeling I got. Yeah. What do you think it was? That's true. What no, was his and... face? Yeah. What, what was this? Did, did we already describe what his face was? Yeah, it's kind of like an aw shit face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. You're right. Yeah, I I read it like an all shit face, like ex- what you said of um, um, like oh, shit, I'm gonna have to wear one now. Mm-hmm. But then, but you you're right, dude. That of this idea of of they're gonna think we're amateurs and like, and I do wonder how much of how often do we, whether it be players or just in general, do you do you um. You follow along with the rituals and the expectations and these unwritten rules that exist simply mm-hmm. to simply to demonstrate to everybody else that you belong there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like letting them know, like, yeah, I know this. Like, I know this is what we're mm-hmm. supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm, I'm part. I'm part of this this club that, like, that mm-hmm. again, that outsiders would never understand why mm-hmm. why we do this. But I understand, so I belong here, you know? And so by not right. doing that, you risk being seen as someone, yeah, who doesn't belong. It's like, dude, do you even know that that's not something you're supposed to do? You've got a young team. I missed that last part, profe. I couldn't hear it. Um, you Yeah, you just, you by, when, when you violate unwritten rules... Even if mm-hmm. you do them because you just think they're dumb, and even if mm-hmm. most people in the world would think they're dumb using common sense, um, mm-hmm. by doing that, you you run the risk of looking like someone who just doesn't belong, mm-hmm. who doesn't belong within that little that little very special club. Mm-hmm. And then, can I throw culture into it? Well, before I say that, um, you've got a young team that's trying to compete for legitimacy, right? saying like we're, we've arrived we're gonna um there's a there's a certain self-awareness that i think maybe machado has that maybe tatis doesn't quite have yet even though i'm sure tatis gets it because like you've mentioned he comes from a baseball family he knows the he knows the structure he's been around the clubhouses and stuff you know mm-hmm. he knows the culture right but he still maybe hasn't reached the level of maturity that maybe a player like manny has you know Manny Machado, mm-hmm. um, and that 
Machado really, I think, is in a, in a way kind of like, would you say he's one of the leaders on the team? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. not the, the leader. Him and Hosmer. Okay. Okay, so he, there's a, I, I, I read it as like being self-aware and, and understanding that, okay, we want to play with the big boys. We want to be recognized in the same category as those, those clubs with, with higher pedigree, like the mm-hmm. Dodgers and the mm-hmm. Yankees. And, and we're trying to make a move into the, into their space and us acting this way can be perceived as, you know, oh, there's still a bunch of kids, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. It also makes me think of another thing, this whole idea of, 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 uh, losing legitimacy or, or, uh, you know, losing face because you look like an amateur and so to speak, there's a cultural element to that, right? Like, um, you, you don't understand the rules of how the game is played here and this is making us look bad kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because potentially, uh, I mean, there's talk of Latin ball players being, you know, playing the game differently, right? Yeah. Playing it with, with, with. What would you describe? What do they describe it as? With more passion? That's such a degrading thing. I hate when fucking people say that. Yeah. Oh, Latins just have more passion. I'm like, no. Yeah, more. Yes. More flair. With more flair. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Flair. Yeah. But you know what I mean, though, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, does that not play itself out a lot in regular, everyday society? The idea of the newcomer or the person who's not fully assimilated to America that maybe writes an email incorrectly or doesn't follow some expected social protocol and it kind of makes if you're if you're somehow connected to that person part of their operation it makes you look like an amateur makes your 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 team look like an amateur mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which i think those are so unfair when when one for the person like i i when i worry about that like if something happens that if i am the one that makes my team look like an amateur or another person makes the team look like an amateur because they haven't understood some nuance of a specific culture um, I think those things are really unfair because how else are you? How are you supposed to learn some things that are just so subtle and so they're unwritten, right? Mm-hmm. How do you understand those unwritten?s If you are coming from the outside, is it just a process of a series of humiliations and someone telling you, like, how do you get told these rules? Yeah. No. I mean, or or you never do. Like, or it like it's it's a way to. Um, that's how we, like, that is the way that groups determine who's really one of us and who's not, you know, Mm -hmm. there, there's, there's those who say, there's those who say that upward mobility doesn't really exist. Like class mobility doesn't really exist in society Mm -hmm. because they, the way they see it is, dude, you can go from being growing up poor and then mm-hmm. you know making money and now you're you're you have upper class uh, income and but but culturally no matter what no matter uh how rich you become and how long you know if you grew up poor we will always for those of us who come from you know quote unquote a family 
you know, who, who were born mm-hmm. into wealth and wealth is part mm-hmm. of it runs through our lineage. We can smell your new money type from a mile away. Yes. And it's yes. just strictly from those type of little thing, those little, those little unwritten rules that mm-hmm. no matter how much you want to be, you think you're part of our club. You're not. And don't you think baseball right now has a need to address this issue of it being perceived as being stodgy and staid and old and dusty? And 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 that's why it's like shaking off this idea of the, you know, because because would you say overwhelmingly everyone kind of said, yeah, okay, Tatis, you know, he he might have made a mistake, but who cares? What's the big deal? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um. Do you think do you think baseball's at all interested in confronting that aspect of itself and this is the, this is a, a good place for it to start? Oh yeah, yeah. And it's probably been going on you know, like right now we're following it more closely, but this um it's like it's been I'm I'm sure the closer you look at the the history um You'll find these type of stories where this has been an ongoing kind of uh, there, there's always this ongoing cultural battle within the game of like which rules stay, which unwritten rules you know are held onto and which ones aren't. Like we're, we're currently witnessing the specifically like the three O pitch situation mm-hmm. uh, issue, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. overall. Like overall, people are even the ones who are saying that's stupid and like oh these unwritten rules are dumb. A lot of them are still saying like, but you know, not stealing late in the game like that one. That one I'm okay with, you know. Like <laughs> there's still this desire to hold on to, it. and I think for good reason. Like it's like no, we don't, we don't want to. Like that is what makes our game special is that we have these little unwritten rules. But, but like you said at the very beginning, it's like, but we, but eventually we get we have the conversation has to start happening over. Is it time to move on from some of these? And Tatis may have just completely opened it up and just, you know, let it be known that the vast majority of ball players today, as far as being, in, as far as not, you know, taking a pitch, three zero. Um, it sounds like the culture has has made its voice heard where where baseball stands on it currently. Right. He's he was like you said the right person to do it. Yeah. Too. On so many levels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. I didn't thought it's right now as we're saying this, I'm thinking that's cool that we're um like we're a part of history in that in that sense. If it mm-hmm. really and it's possible that that may have been the end of of a three o of that same scenario being controversial, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and we we witnessed it happen with with one of our hometown boys. Right, I think I think it. What the reason does is the reason that it 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 doesn't sit well with most of us. Is it is it simply because the object of the game is to get hits and to hit home runs and to score runs and to 
produce, right? It's to me, it just seems so ridiculous that you would be upset that a player who works really hard at doing something would you would deny them the right to do the thing that they're supposed to do because there's some rule that says, oh, if we're already beating this team by X number of runs, you know, is because there's not in like an official number that says after after you lead by seven you shouldn't do that right yeah no there's no, have, yeah like yeah what, there's no fucking define, number right how do yeah. you define a big enough lead yeah right um it, it just it just seems ridiculous on so many levels to you know and like i mentioned to you all uh over text was you know what if what if what if Tatis has a clause in his contract that says if you hit 25 home runs this this shortened season, you get you get a new car, you know, and he misses it by one, you know. It's like mm-hmm. those are just weird rules, you know. They're they're not not only are they weird, they're very clearly they're very clearly untilted. It's it's again these rules are so clearly rules that benefit pitchers over hitters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we would have to really. Um, I don't. I don't think I read anything. Um, I don't know if you did. That I don't. I don't think I've yet to find where that originated, or where where it comes from. You know what? What spring did that come from? You know. Um, and I think like I think you're you're right that it's it's rooted in something having to do with pictures, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and so you can, you, like, you can look at it on the one hand, it's, it's, this is just another clear example of, you know, of a dominant group trying to preserve its, its way for its own interest, um, within a system. At the same time, like, what if, what if we, we thought of these rules as, like, what makes them, what makes them special really is that it they they bring us back to what we'd been talking about episode you know with something we we've been coming back to a lot but like what if these unwritten rules are the early like reimagining what winning is and the concept of winning where it's where it's like it's thinking beyond the win and it's thinking about ideally you want to think it's thinking about the game as a whole so so players are being raised to there are certain situations where it's more important to respect your teammates, respect the other team, respect and by respecting the other team like respecting the game even if it's at the sacrifice of winning. Even if that means it's going to lead to them scoring more runs on us, plunking a player for example or whatever. Um and 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 what if like the deeper message being instilled in a player is that that it's not really about winning it's about it's about respect that's like the romantic way of thinking of these right mhm 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 which is kind of great cuz that's where the origins of baseball started with there were acts of the old chivalrous acts of men being civilized and noble, you know, <laughs> that's what that's what playing baseball was in the in the in the beginning, beginning, talking 18, 1840s, you know, mm-hmm. 1850s, 
you know, um, that they, they, you know, you know, you'd get together with the chaps and you'd all don your Sunday best and you'd go down to, well, you wouldn't play on Sundays, but you know, all the, all the, all the dudes that could take time off in the afternoon to go to the Elysian fields and play, uh, nine rounds of nine rides of, of nine rounds of town ball or baseball or whatever they called it at the time, you yeah. know? Um, but it was, you know, it was all so dramatic in a sense because the whole point was not to win. It was to exercise and to, you know, to, to be men being kind and, you know, you know the women would get invited so as to keep, keep a, uh, keep the the civility between the men. Right? It was a way of encouraging, encouraging that civility. It was a way of managing that these that these men wouldn't fight or use profanity or you know you understand what I'm saying. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when the game was over, the the losing team would do a cheer for the winning team, and then they'd give them the. And then the other team would do a cheer for the losing team, you know, and then they'd then they'd give them this ball and say and commemorate it by writing something on it. And then they would gild the ball and say, oh, on, you know, on August 21st, you know, or 22nd or whatever of of 1865, the New York Knickerbockers played the the Brooklyn Athletics, you know, and they won the game. You know, you know what I'm saying? That's what it was about. Which is funny because you know what came next when it when the game started to get competitive. This this is what I would consider like the genesis of competition in baseball. They would some teams whenever they would lose, they would take. They used to it used to be you'd give them a nice ball, you know. But as as the competition started to become less about being men and being gentlemen and being noble, they would take the most fucked up ball. Like the one that was like almost had the cover ripped off of it, you know, and they would give that would be the game ball that you'd give to the other team, so they couldn't write anything on it, or when they tried to gild it, it wouldn't work. It was like the first instances of of being resentful, <laughs> yeah, there's I mean, yeah, because that's such a resentment, man, that is a big it's like it's the paradox of restraint there's like this like mm-hmm. virtue of restraint that's supposedly taught within baseball. Like it's so much about putting your head down or the bases being respectful in that mm-hmm. sense. Restraint, you know, restraint of emotion, which is why the Latin players get shit on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when the pitcher, it always comes back to, but when the pitcher feels resentful, he, he's the only one that doesn't get, doesn't have to show restraint. <laughs> <laughs> he gets the Liberty to fucking throw a ball at someone's head. <laughs> And we allow it, right? We allow it because we, we say, yeah. He's the, yeah, that guy's a jerk. Cool kid, he was out cool of line. He's the on the field. He's the yeah. who gets to make the rules and everyone has to follow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you're really onto something there, Profe. Can you talk a little bit about the the fact that uh, America is a Christian country, baseball is a sport rooted in, uh, Christi- in Christian with Christian values and fused with Christian values, how that plays into this as well? Um, the, well, I the... mean, going back to the restraint thing, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's got to yeah. be, 
you can it just seems kind of clear that that's part of that whole protestant work ethic making its way into mm-hmm. into the people who started playing the game um but yeah i i think it's one of the the narratives that's really interesting to me is is one that 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 says that christianity um played a really big role in 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 flipping on its head the notion of of humility as being good or or rather you know in ancient civilizations being humble being humble to like your peers was not something that was encouraged or promoted or celebrated like it was like that was that why would you do that you know you only you're supposed to be humble to to the higher to people higher in the social system and to god and so on um but then but then um christianity comes in and starts promoting this message of of humility towards your fellow man as as good and um and one of the theories behind that is that you know jesus was um <laughs> the way i was going to say it, like it sounds but, but like jesus lost basically yeah um he lost yeah. he got crucified um and so how do you make how do you then when you know many years after his death and when you know the religion is starting to form you have these people writing about him and and you know the, the early the origins of the religion um and the new testament and his the gospels and his books um how do you take a guy who lost and make him seem heroic and so a way to do it is to is to suggest that you know, losing and sacrificing yourself um, is actually winning. It's actually a heroic act, um, and then and then you see it like in all the the things you know, the messages that he gave and the teachings that he that he promoted about being essentially being humble. And so, from that, looking at it that way, it suggests that Christianity played a very influential role in turning humility into a virtue that then you know and then if we relate to that people who devoutly christian people who were part of the development of baseball like infuse that into the a virtue into the game they well they don't say that but i assume like we can make that connection that that's how it made its way into baseball What about the fact that a lot of this is also connected to the 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 line that divides veteran players from young players and part of this kind of you know hierarchies and things of that nature how does how does how does all that play into this this idea of you know the young guy can only do so much he 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 hasn't earned the right to 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 do something like that right yeah don't um, i mean we see that right don't we we see mm-hmm. that in in so many other areas right like the the dominance of the mm-hmm. age mm-hmm. Yeah, i know that possible. i use this word yeah yesterday but i i think that the i the i think that uh that 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 i think Tatis is is an iconoclast, and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna change baseball. 
if all goes the way it's going now. I'm, it's very early to call it, but he does seem to have all the tools to become a a force in baseball. And that moment, it, it had to be a young kid who's just starting out yeah. to really, you know, because it's not an old guy saying, oh, I can do whatever I want. It's more like, no, I'm going to defy the rules as a youngster, second season, Latino with dreads, the guy who plays with flair, that et cetera, et cetera, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like mm-hmm. it was the perfect coming together of a lot of things. Yeah, and and all within during the time during the context of an American culture that is increasingly diverse, increasingly mm-hmm. Latino, and increasingly mm-hmm. more so than I mean, not that this is anything new, but just increasingly um, ageist and doesn't have the same respect for elders that um you know that like you see in other cultures so all all these pieces coming together yeah how great was the unspoken rule number 28 a manager should remain detached from his flares (laughs) (laughs) that one was thrown out Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh i mean it's quite the opposite now, right? Seems like it. On purpose, by design. Like the young players need a a more relatable persona in the manager, right? It's right. the gone are the days of like, you know, the old viejito manager who like, you know, wore a, 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 a wore a Rolex watch and and was like sipping on whiskey and yelling at players, right? That yeah. shit's done. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, in all sports. Right. Which isn't a bad thing. No. You know? But I, I, I do happen to be a, from an era where that was... The archetype for the manager was that viejito drinking whiskey. You know? Right. So I I got stuck there. So to yeah. see a player, the player that looks just like a manager that looks as, just as young and buff, and and like the player is kind of weird, to me. And then he hands him an iPad as he comes back from his at bat. That's kind of weird to me, you know. And that the managers that get hired for the teams these days are like very very clearly said that they that the manager of today has to be a a man has to be a person who can relate to his players, right? Mm-hmm. Who understands dealing with young, the young millennial generation, right? Right. I mean, from an organizational standpoint, that makes complete sense, don't you think? Yeah, no, totally, totally. I mean, that's um, a lot. With a lot of these, it's just. It's just a matter of, um, especially with the strategic ones. Like the strategic ones will last as long as they are effective, mm-hmm. and that's it. The other ones are the ones that get a little bit more, um, that get a little more tougher on that sense, you know. But you know what about the strategic ones? They can be divisive, just as the other ones. What I find really interesting, within especially if you within get a team. Yeah, within within if you have a fan if you if you sit 
uh, if you sit a a 60-year-old man, 70-year-old man who grew up playing a different game of baseball than I grew up playing, and then now you have a 20-something-year-old, and we're all sitting there watching a the game, we're going to have a completely different approach with regard to the strategic rules. I hear it all the time from my uncles who love, like, Uncle Tino, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, like, disgusted at the way the game is played today, you know? Um he gets it. He understands it because he understands baseball. The same way I understand the shift and all that stuff, I just think it's weird that that's the way the game is played now and that nobody's willing to take a chance on playing it the other way. And I understand why, right? Because mm-hmm. the statistics say so. But I also think those can create a lot of controversy. And I would say that the the superstitious and the disrespectful kind of stem from there. Mm. Like, like they sprout from the strategic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Doing a deep dive. Um, yeah, we need to come back to this and doing a deep dive on the origins of these. Mm-hmm. Would be really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. I have, I have some. Uh, did you have something else on that? Because I have some. I want to, I want to throw some stuff at you here. Yeah, go for it. Um, uh, unspoken unwritten rules um what do you do when a home run gets what what do some 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 fans in some stadiums i feel like this started in chicago but i don't know if that's true but that's where i saw it most could have been because i just saw a lot of cubs games on wgn when i'd come home from school <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> so um yeah um Braves games, too, for me. Braves games. But the Braves games started later. The cool thing about Cubs games is if you came home early, it was on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because they played a lot of those day games, especially nice before and sunny. they put the lights up. Yeah. I have a strange affinity for the Cubs, for Chicago mostly, uh, because of, of WGN. But anyways, so the opposing the opposing team hits a home run. What happens? Hits it into the stands. What happens to that home run ball? Well, it depends what type of person you are. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, I I personally, um, I I would be one to throw if I'm if it's the opposing team, I would be one to throw the ball back onto the field. Mm-hmm. So if that ever, if I I've caught a I've caught a bunch of foul balls, and I've caught them barehanded in my cap with a glove. In a, in a, I've, I've, I've caught ones that have bounced. I've like gone under a seat to get one. Like I've caught like six or seven foul balls in my time as a fan. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, 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 the two ones that I still have left to do is to catch a home run ball, which I'll do one day. And then the second one would be the ultimate ultimate would be to catch one and throw one back for the opposing team. That that would complete me as a baseball grandstander. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> it's kind of like a way of saying take the shit back kind of thing, right? And usually, if you have a good arm and you throw it far enough, you'll get a nice roar from the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. People will be like, "Hell yeah!" Um, a lot of people keep them because it's kind of cool. Imagine catching a ball if you've never caught one, or if you're just the kind of person that doesn't care about that fucking unwritten rule, right? Um. 
So you would throw it back, right? Uh, yes, I would throw it back. Okay. So there's a guy at a, I think at a Cubs game or a Reds game. Um, same same scenario, except he's he throws it back, but what you catch later is that he switched the balls. He kept the home run ball and threw like a dirty old nasty ball that he brought from home. <laughs> is that a violation of the unwritten rules? It might be, but 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 I respect it. You got to respect the um, the creativity of that. You like that? I like it. Yeah. You can get behind that. Yeah, I like it. But but right. but not if I can't get behind that becoming a thing. I can get behind that guy doing it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I I I thought that guy should have been banned from baseball for doing <laughs> that, but <laughs> but it was funny that he had the gall to do that. Um, he's like a little kid keeping the ball that he just got. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's fair. Can I, Would can, you walk, can I ask you one what? related to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about the? I mean, maybe. I'm not sure if, how much of an unwritten rule it is, but I feel like it is. Um, you catch a home run, mm-hmm. uh, foul ball even, but maybe let's say home run. Home run makes it more home run that that a kid you you snatch it from that was going right into the hands of a kid, mm-hmm. and you catch it. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a rule? Is it an unwritten rule that you have to give that ball to the kid? Wow. I have a story about this. Did you not? You've never heard my story about this? Uh, maybe. Mm. What do you do? Uh, as a 40-year-old grown man, I'd give it to that kid. Uh, remembering that I've already caught seven foul balls. So that's like the, the, the ba- some people go their entire lives without catching a foul ball. Yeah. You know, I've caught seven. So um, I've been lucky. I also know how to use a baseball glove that really helps um but now i would give it to the kid maybe 10 years ago maybe i wouldn't give it to the kid but oh, one wow. day yeah Take would you boot. give it to the kid yeah would you give it to the kid it depends on context depends on who hit yeah. it. always about context who hit it depends on who the kid is who yes <laughs> that depends too he's an um, asshole i'm not gonna give him a fucking ball I mean, what you're dealing with, though, is the situation where you snag it, the kid's crying, the the crowd is booing you, and now you have to decide to, to give it to them or not. And I, I feel like what makes it hard, for, say, say in your case, you still, even as a 40-year-old, I don't know, maybe Frida's never got a ball. Maybe it was, um, maybe it was her favorite player, and you caught it, and you're, go- and you're thinking yeah. to yourself... Oh, I'm going to give this to my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, but then mm-hmm. you have a kid crying right there. So, I what I don't know is I have I, guess I, have, I, I have I I have I have lots to say about that because the the one thing I would do is I would approach one of the ball girls and say, "Hey, give this fucking whining kid a ball." He stops crying like a little little fucking baby. You know what I'm saying? And I take home my ball if I really wanted to do what you just said. Um, but here's here's. Here's, I think I would give the ball away. 
even if a Frida wanted it from the favorite player. Okay. Um, just because I believe in, in, in good and having good baseball karma. Okay. With foul balls. And I think that's why, so that's why I, this story that I'm about to tell you has something to do with that because it's not the first time that I've given a ball away, you know, um, when I said earlier that 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, I think I was, I was saying I would probably have a hard time with it. I was kind of lying there. I think I would have still given the ball to some kid, but here's what happened. I was in a, I was at uh, AT&T field or whatever the fuck it's called now. It used to be called Pac Bell in San Francisco. And I was, I had really nice seats um, that were given to me by a, um, by a friend. Uh, really, really nice seats. And I couldn't, I, I couldn't have afforded these seats at at, uh, at what was then Pac Bell. So I'm sitting there, first row, first row, um, near the left field line. Barry Bonds, fly ball gets hit to Barry Bonds. The inning is over, and Barry Bonds takes the ball. He looks directly at me. Okay, he comes, he comes within like ten feet of me. But I don't know why. Maybe because I was the only brown person in a field of white people. I don't know. That's what I think it was. But he just, he looked, he pointed it at me, you know? And I'm pretty sure it was me. And he just like, <laughs> he chucks the ball and I catch it. I mean, the ball came directly at me. You know what I'm saying? It was like, there was no question about it. There's nobody in front of me. You know what I'm saying? This kid was like three rows behind me somewhere, you know? And I catch the ball and I was like, thank you, Barry. And he just like he like acknowledged it and he kept walking. And I was like, sweet. And this fucking kid behind me starts crying, saying, That was that was for me. He's like pointing at me. That was my I'm like, dude, no, no. I'm fucking I know he was pointing at me. Like I'm pretty sure. But he started crying, so then I fucking grabbed the ball and I gave it to the kid. And I was like, Oh, here you go. Man, fuck fuck you. I don't fucking want this ball anyways, you know. Here's the ball. So something really miraculous happens. I get tickets to that to a game the the same exact the next night okay same exact seats richard really is up he hits a line drive like he whacks it like the kind of one that if you're not paying attention and it hits you it would have been bad you know like one of those Mm -hmm. he whacks it and it it like came right into my glove Mm -hmm. okay and it was like such a like it was a liner and i caught it and then i got a clap from the from my section you know, nice. baseball gods paid yeah. me back. That's it. You know, so um, yeah, I'd always give a ball away. Yeah, keep keeping with the rule. That's the. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a. Um, I feel like that's an unwritten grandstanding rule. Be kind. Give it to the kid. Oh, just wow! It's like the it's the inverse, right? Yeah, and in the grandstands, it's a uh, respect instead of for the elders, it's for the kids. Mm-hmm. They have the power <laughs> in the grandstand. You know what? I never realized because they're all like potential new customers. Is ultimately what they are. <laughs> <laughs> you want them to be, and you want to like, you want to encourage their consumption of a game that you love as well. You yeah, know, if you really totally, think about it, totally. when it's all said and done, it's like, yes, this is a good product. Buy it. <laughs> you know totally. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. We no, I, we yeah. you know, I mean, you, don't you agree? 
totally yeah that, that's that's really tr- even if it's subconsciously that everyone's think, thinking that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah. do you have any other unwritten rules um do you have a favorite one well, I think my favorite one is the first one we mentioned. I really love the um, the not saying anything, not mentioning the the no hitter. Um, one other than that, that one's pretty magical as far as sports go in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, um, I think the the not bunting to break a no hitter is another is like a really funny one because it's like if you know if bunting is you know strategically effective for your team to win that game um for you to show restraint to be like no as a team as a manager to teach your players like hey guys you know no we're not doing that we're not winning that way because there's something there's something special potentially happening. We have to respect that. Like to me, it's it's cool in the sense that it's it it it's showing this respect for the game. Like that's that's what this keeps coming back to. To me, is what makes these specials is no, we we're willing to sacrifice our interests for for the for the good of the game because a guy pitching a no hitter is good for the game. Mm-hmm. Um. If that's the way it's being thought of, but I think, but it, what it looks like increasingly, more and more people, more and more people within the game are going like, no, the point of the game is to win, and that's mm-hmm. dumb. Like that's dumb. It's another, it's it's another, fucking dumb rule for the pitcher. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but I like it. Like I like the again, I like the romantic idea behind it. The I do too. Idea of respect. I do too. And I think I tend to side with that a little more. But at the same time, if you can bunt to get on because the 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 third baseman or the first baseman are playing way off the mm-hmm. way off of from their from their you know they're playing deep, um, that is a strategy that you can opt for or not. You know, as a manager, it, the def- on defense, you know. And you could, in theory, say, well, if he's playing super deep and there's no way in hell they're going to get to this. I mean, if you bunt for if you run for a base hit because the third baseman's playing you deep at the beginning of the game, would that be unfair? And thus the pitcher throws a one hitter. Could you look back and say what a fucking scum that guy was? You know what I'm saying? Right. It's again, the context, right? Yeah. And there's something beautiful about that. That that like really high level of sportsmanship when you're like, you know what? If we're gonna win this, let's do it. Let's do it the fair way. The, you know, let's do it fair. Let's do it fairly, right? Or uh, I mean, is it fairly would it be unfair to do that? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like, not unfair. Let's. It's not unfair it. to bunt. Yeah. No. Exactly. So, so. So what is it that you? So what? What do we? What do? What? What is the correct way of describing this then? I mean, if you if you are willing to go, even if you see the the third baseman playing off, and you and you see like, dude, I could totally bunt and get on. Um, oh man, and imagine even, but then you'd be violating another one. But imagine even if your manager, if you're getting the signal to bunt, and you 
have some of these know. beliefs so <laughs> deeply ingrained within you because your dad raised you on them and your grandpa maybe even, you know, and it's like you're in your mind go like, hell no, I'm not doing that. I'm not breaking that that sacred rule because if I do that, then going back to what you were just saying, if I do that, the baseball gods are going to punish me. Mm-hmm. I'm not committing a sin. I mean, there's something mm-hmm. there's something both baffling but also beautiful about people who who really just who 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 truly believe in in whether it be in superstitions or in just irrational beliefs, you know, where it's like, bro, that makes no sense. But there's something mm-hmm. kind of cool about the fact that you believe so strongly in it, right? Right. Religion is that way, huh? Yep. That's like a, like the like the entire yeah. institution of it is founded upon those types of uh, tricky situations, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I guess we've made that clear right here, where it's uh, you can't talk sports without talking religion. No. It's the one thing that's going to replace religion. Mm. It could. Totally. I think it's started to. Yeah. But again, uh, uh, I think, again, returning to... Would you... Would you... Would I, I wouldn't bunt in that situation. Would you as a player bunt? If if my manager told me to. Okay. So if someone in a lab coat makes you tells you to do something, you'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Because that's another. Because that's another. That's another right. part of it, right? It's like. Yeah. Right. That's um. You have to show respect to the skipper. You have to show respect to Papa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the authority. Mm-hmm. The expert. Yeah. And and also and so also and I'm not and it's not and also because it's. These rules, I, I acknowledge them, but they're not ingrained. You know, I didn't grow up within a, experiences where where they've been deep, mm-hmm. like deeply ingrained within me. So, so it's easy for me to to violate them if you know, especially if an authority figure within them is is telling me to. So it's not that simple. I guess there's not. all these layers, you know, all these little circles of if you're if you're. If your beliefs are such, if you, if you have a respect for authority, if you, if your role is to be the player, not the manager, and if the manager's saying do this, right, um, you can so easily justify it, bunt in that situation, and not feel any like any remorse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So then it's those, so then, so then, to round it all out, like. Why is the ball three, the three zero count, uh, given a you know, giving yourself the green light to swing at a pitch to hit a grand slam when you're up by a million runs? Why is that one one that we're all kind of? How does that differ from bunting to break up a no hitter? I know they differ in 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 their intensity, you know, uh, and 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 like you said, in what they mean to the game. I I would say that a no hitter has more inherent collective value to the to more more value to the whole to the collective than than Tatis's grand slam because that just kind of made us all Padres happy right mm-hmm. um, Padre fans happy but 
why is that one okay to say eh, that one's done how does how does how do unwritten rules get to a place where we where we we finally take them out and put them in the trash and say yeah this one's done we don't need this one anymore I mean that's the question I don't I mean I feel there is no <laughs> it's not sim- there's no simple answer to that mm-hmm. um, but I think it, it's like a combination of things we, we said it earlier right with it's mm-hmm. a combination of things coming together the players involved who are violating it uh, the, you know the controversy that comes from that and you know the time and the place that it happens in and all that um, but I do think a big one is is about inequality and and eventually the, the, the players within the, the members of the culture of baseball um, have had enough with seeing the inherent inequality in some of these rules, which very clearly benefit certain players who aren't held to like the same standards. Um, and so I think that's a big one. And, and, but, it, but it, there's so many little things involved in, and to that, the, your specific question. Yeah. I think the no hitter one is protected because it's a no hitter. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's, that's something that everyone can agree on is a sacred part of the game. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how to start to sp- sparse those out i think it would be interesting to 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 start looking for more of those more of those kind of those nebulous ones that are kind of antiquated and and that we that we could you know start a campaign to get rid of get rid of do a do a do a do a a cleanup of the unwritten rules that we don't need anymore you know I know that would be good, and and it's possible that Tatis is just going to go through and just do all of them. All like, of them, all. yeah. <laughs> Parody, it's crazy that after he did that grand slam, that then he steals third the next day with a big. I know. <laughs> so that's another one. He's gonna, yeah, he'll 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 probably do a few more. And you said something very true the other day, which is he he might be. It's possible he's doing all this defiantly. Mm-hmm. Because he knows. Because he knows, like, mm-hmm. well, what are you guys going to do to me? I'm better mm-hmm. than all of you at this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those, those are the, those are the, those are the little things that that we don't, uh, we are not able to assimilate right away or perceive right away. But those are the things that make greatness. You know, those are the things that make legendary once every generation kind of players, mm-hmm. you know, I read somewhere that every 30 years, a sport will have somebody that comes along that, that redefines a position or a way of approaching the game, you know, and we may have that, that person in our midst right now, you know, yes. we may have that person. Um, and then every, every few, I don't know, every, every, few generations you get you get like a real super special one you know talking talking babe ruth babe ruth quality here you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um it's not gonna look like babe ruth because it's not the same baseball's not in the same place but it'll have all the markings of that same kind of transcendence you know what i mean and breaking those unwritten rules stealing third 
uh, but because he can, um, that's the beginning of something. Could be the beginning of something very special. Totally, and you have it blocks away happening from you. I know. That's pretty incredible. Yep. Um. So, I I wonder I wonder how great it would be for those unwritten rules, the strategic ones, to go and do that deep dive for for maybe another episode, Professor, and really yeah. really get get at, get at the origins of that. I think it would be really interesting because it would be interesting to explore um, how those um, those the strategic ones uh, ebb and flow as the game changes, you know? Right. Um, we are in the home run and high strikeout era, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually something will change and something will give, right? Or there'll be a player like Tatis that just completely disrupts the thing altogether and you, and we say, oh, it has nothing to do with that or with that. It has to do with approaching the game this way. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's it's cool in this case to be to be a part of it and be experiencing it live rather than um, yeah, to hear about it rather than yeah having to go back and learn about it. Yeah, I agree. So keep your eyes open, folks. Uh, there's one final unwritten rule, prof- uh, professor, that I want to talk about. Um, when do they when do they close off uh, concessions for beer in Major League Baseball? When will they? When do they? At what inning? Oh, uh, the seventh. Mm-hmm. Bottom. Did of the you floor? know that? A, yeah. Did you know that originally, the seventh inning stretch was created so that people could go and get a beer at the concession. The, say that again. So the the seventh inning stretch. Mm-hmm. Was started by, ball by by teams that wanted to get higher revenue from concession and at the seventh inning was basically the the seventh inning stretch or break as they called it was so people could go and buy shit at the con- go get beers and buy and consume um i think it's funny that now the seventh thing is the cutoff point isn't that <laughs> yeah, funny that is funny but so now when it was it was so alcohol beer wasn't sold before that? No, it w- it was sold, but I think I don't, actually you know what? I don't know the the specific details of that, but the first seventh inning stretch happened when the when Wrigley, the guy, you know, Wrigley's known for the guy who who ended up owning the Cubs. It wasn't I don't know if it was the Cubs at this point cuz he owned a couple teams in Chicago, but um he he took a team out to California and they played in a did like a West Coast tour, and that's when that's when the seventh inning was started because um, it was the Reds, not the Cubs. It was the Reds. The Reds take a trip out to California, and um, the Cubs had a had a the Cubs had spring training. Did you know this? The Cubs had spring training on Catalina Island one year. No, that's yeah, a, yeah, good for them. Yeah, that's what I was confusing my stories. But the Reds came to California in 1869. And they wanted to get the concession people to use the concession stand. So during the seventh inning, they took a longer than normal 
uh, break in between innings, and so people could go buy beers. That's it's funny that I mean, now it's closed. Makes perfect sense. Why is that? Well, just it makes perfect sense to use use the outdoor ballpark. Uh, like oh, the, yeah, whole, yeah, the whole yeah. purpose of it is, yeah. how do we attract people to this one place so we could right. sell them shit? Beer being the probably the biggest seller. The American League was the first league that had um, games on Sundays, mm-hmm. and they served beer on Sundays. When they were doing the National League, they were not right. That was they were not. They didn't play on Sundays, mm-hmm. and they played during the days. So basically, you only were gonna have a certain type of fan. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, you can you can fill in the blanks. I'm not gonna talk shit anymore. But <laughs> who was the only? Who were the only people there? But all of a sudden, you play on Sundays. All the bricklayers and masons and people that work hard jobs or or people that can't get off in the afternoon are going, and they're selling beer. I think the American League was the was the the more progressive of the leagues, hence the DH, um, always has been. Um, it was not known as the American League. It was known as the American Association then. But I I digress. I'm just going to the final thing here, uh, Profe. Um, do you know why uh, uh, managers can't wear uh, – managers uh, are, are have to wear uniforms? Why? Because in order to walk onto the field, you have to be able to you have to be in uniform, right? You know how they come out to uh-huh. get the pitcher, or the hurler out. Yeah. Okay. But why do the trainers don't? Why do they not wear uniforms? Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? The guy, the yeah. massage guy, or the guy, the trainer? Is that what yeah. his name is? Or even or the name is? or even the the. I don't know if you've been watching the project. The, the game just ended, but like the landscapers had to come on multiple times to like fix the mound. Mm-hmm. They were they're they're wearing like you know polo shirts and khakis, right? These these are going to be things that we talk about during our deep dive. All these rules, all these these kind of. Like, I'm sure it's written somewhere. It's not an unwritten rule, but I'm just curious about it, right? Yeah. Oh man, you just what a cliff. I I thought you had an answer for. for no, me. it's 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 for next time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's for next time. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because we're going to go deep into yeah that's 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 what that's what my my pastor does to me <laughs> next installment of church <laughs> actually no i heard someone tell me that what they really loved about going to this church was uh that the or this this yeah church i guess was that the pastor always gave him a sneak peek of next week so i'm like oh that's brilliant mm. right in the next installment of church we will talk about Anyways, so yeah, it's a lead. It's a it's a it's a segue to the next. It's a lead into the next uh, uh, next next conversation. Um, Profi, you got anything else to add? No. Um, go Padres. Go go unwritten rules. Mm-hmm. And um, and go and go breaking unwritten rules. You think Ting? You think Tingler? Uh, do you think Tingler's uh, uh, feeling bad that he talks shit to Tatis? Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, actually, that's what I'll leave off on. Mm-hmm. 
not only did he feel bad because he he clearly felt bad because he literally the next day completely changed his whole (laughs) his whole everything Uh and i do like the fact that he joked in one of the press conferences afterwards was and they asked him what the players like what he was proud of his players doing and he goes well they're getting pretty good at missing the take signal um and that's good but um but i think something that was really cool was or may, the, the manager who who started of this whole fuss, right? Woodward for the mm-hmm. Rangers. Mm-hmm. He was the one who was crying about it. Mm-hmm. In the end, he also realized. I think once even he realized, like, damn, I guess I'm part of a small minority of people. I think when he first came out talking against it, he felt like, Hey, yeah, like that's not how we play the game. That kid doesn't know. Right. And then to everybody, he realized to everybody, yeah. <laughs> until everyone chimed in and he was like, oh, oh shit, I'm the, the only one who's still like most of you guys don't believe. So it forced him and at least he, he conceded and, and he said, um, he, he said he, he, he refused from talking bad about Tatis and he just said, just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not right. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really nice way of just acknowledging. Mm-hmm. You know what? I don't like it. I can't. I mm-hmm. can't lie. It makes for mm-hmm. whatever silly reason I don't like it. But mm-hmm. I can recognize that even though I don't like something, it doesn't mean doesn't mean I'm saying I'm right. Like like facing the Buddha with your feet. Like facing the Buddha with your feet. <laughs> Everything in life understood through baseball. And that's what I think was the defining moment of the whole entire week is those two managers saying, you know what? That was kind of maybe not. We over we, we overreacted or, hey, the rest of y'all are cool with this. Yeah, you know what? All right. Fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's To me, that was the most powerful thing because I'm like, oh, look at that. Change. Change. In a game that supposedly doesn't want to ever change. Yeah. You know? That was beautiful and refreshing. Yeah. And nice, you know? Because um, that means, oh, look. Look what, look what can happen if we just talk about these things. You know? Right. I love it. I think it was great. I think it's a sign of, of better things to come for what? Mago Septien. Do you know who Mago Septien is? No, he he was uh, one of the most amazing Spanish Spanish language. Uh, he was a Mexican sportscaster that was a uh, he he was called the magician because he had an incredible memory. He could cite like he could cite a game and tell you who was on first base, who was on who was on the field, what the count was, where the ball went. He he just had this incredible memory and he could recall and, he, and he'd always start his stories. He had he would tell these really beautiful stories. Um, he, he starts saying, I remember the series of 1943, you know, I was, uh, I was 15 years old and I was, you know, and he'd go on and he'd give you all these details and the stories were just, this is during the game, you know, while the game is happening. And I would tune in and uh, mostly all of us would tune in because of these amazing stories that he'd tell. Right. But he has a saying that I think captures this and everything, um, yet to, yet to be talked about. And he, his, uh, his, his quote was, Baseball is um, is too much of a sport to be a business, and we've already said this here on this on this show. But it, it, we've talked about it before. I mean, 
baseball is too much of a sport to be a business and too much of a business to be a sport. You know? <laughs> and in the in the context of the history of the United States and of identity and race and culture in the United States, baseball always has kind of been following along and telling the story in its own little way over and over and over. It's nice to it's nice to see it pick its head out again and say, Hey, look, I have something to say about these culture wars or these culture things that are going on right now. Ever so subtly, but something was said by baseball this week. So it's alive. There's a pulse there, Mr. Professor. Absolutely. Well said. That's all. Hope you all have a wonderful, uh, wonderful week or whatever. Wonderful rest of your week or summer or whatever life whatever um and yeah uh get to work on looking on get to work on looking at your fucking unwritten rules of your own personal life and of your own society and culture what are your unwritten rules um and get to work on those cabrones because uh our evolution depends on us re redefining and rethinking those unwritten rules so yeah get to work cabrones but make sure to follow them too. Follow them? Yeah, follow them. Oh yeah, that's true. Follow them too. Shit. Damn it. See? Thank you, girlfriend.